Hello and welcome back to another episode of Awesome Film Fanatics, the one podcast where you can learn about films as we talk about them. I'm your host, Casey Abramson. This is Lee Hua. And today we thought it would be interesting to do an episode talking about uh, Stanley Kubrick. We're on a bit of a Kubrick kick right now. And um, to any of you who don't know, according to his daughter, his name is not Kubrick, as a lot of people say. It's actually Kubrick. Like in Q-tip. Yeah, pretty much. That's pretty much how you pronounce his name. And it goes without saying that he was definitely one of the most unique directors within the whole industry, not just within his films, but as a human being in, in and all together. Because apparently he was very much a perfectionist. He also had, according to Malcolm McDowell, a very odd setup at his house like he had like a plot of land and in one land and in one tent on that land there was a ping pong table and in another there was like a television or something like that and it was just really really strange he's a genius though Believe. yeah well, maybe he is eccentric you know your stories of child prodigies and how they grew up to be Interesting. Yeah. I think what? Yeah, he had like a high IQ, did he? Or I'm thinking of someone else. Yes, he did. He kept on saying like, I'm not, I'm not that smart. My IQ is average. Um, someone somehow did an IQ test with him. His IQ was over 200. What does that mean? He's very, very, very smart. Okay. Einstein's IQ was 180. So he's smarter than Einstein. Yes. At least with that test. Yes, and it. I definitely do believe it because the if you see the amount of research he did for certain things, it's absolutely amazing. Like when he did um, Dr. Strangelove, he read dozens of books on nuclear war. Mm-hmm. He wanted to do a movie about Napoleon. He read over 100 books about Napoleon, and according to colleagues... He had a filing cabinet that was labeled each with a card. So if you're like, where was Napoleon on November 6th of this year? He could go into that cabinet and take out that card and tell you exactly what he did. Yes. Which, yeah, so. I think he did um, one controversial films, or they do more than one. I, I can only think of one. You know what I'm thinking about, but I wonder if his other films were also... Within that same situation. Yeah, now you're talking about Clockwork Orange. Yeah, is that his only controversial film? I feel like a couple of them are controversial. Like maybe Eyes Wide Shut might be a little controversial. But the thing about Clockwork that a lot of people didn't like about it. I mean, Jesus, even he decided to ban it in England, which is where he lived. The thing about Clockwork is that it really is... Even though Malcolm McDowell's performance is amazing, the film is disgusting. Yeah, I don't understand how it's well acclaimed. Is there anyone out there who could kindly explain what makes this film so great? Other than Malcolm McDowell's performance. We talked to a few people about it and we just don't But they all kept saying it's great. It's just great. They didn't really give an explanation or like a critique or anything like that. So I'm still dumbfounded. Like, what's so special about it? Yeah, like, it's weird, it's wacky, it's violent, it's crazy, (laughs) but the film, it's not that good. And I apologize to anyone who's a fan of it, but... It's, like, on the list of, what, the top, well-acclaimed films in the world or something like that? Yeah, it's on on one of those lists. You... uh, I'm assuming people who know psychology will will say something, but it's just what what is it about it? I really don't understand. That's all I could say. Yeah, but I feel like the film that launched his career as a true genius was um, Strange Love. Oh, really? Yeah, to anybody who doesn't know, the full title of the film is Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. It's funny. It is. It's 
you would think it's just a war film, but then you watch it, and it's like, oh, this is really funny. Yeah. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. There's no fighting in the war room. Yeah, it's like, like wacky comedy like that. And he didn't even intend for it to be a comedy. How does he do that? I, that's, that's the thing. According to Malcolm McDowell, he never planned anything. Or at the Wait, very, well, as, or, a, as a perfectionist, I would think you would want to plan everything. No, no, he didn't. Malcolm McDowell said he didn't like planning shots. Yeah, but he that would, is... He would I rather go out and analyze the environment and get the shot right there on the spot and then make it as perfect as it could be. Okay, so once he got the feel, then he plans it. So technically he yeah. did plan everything. It's just not at the... It's just not he planned before production then. I think that's what you're trying to say. Yeah, he was very adaptive. You would think he wouldn't be. I will... Like, from the stories I've heard, I I didn't think he was adaptive. Because he's like, you better get this shot perfect or else you're going to do it again and again and again and again. Yeah, now Malcolm McDowell said that a lot of those stories, they're a little over-exaggerated. Because he is... he According to Malcolm, he said Stanley and... He Malcolm also said that not every actor has had this experience with Stanley, but you know, with his experience, he was there to Stanley was there to find the character with Malcolm, which is good because that's what you need to do as an actor and a director. Yeah, especially as a director for your actor. Oh yeah, because you'll get a better performance. But. Again, not everyone had that kind of experience with Stanley. Uh, Kirk Douglas is one of them. For um, Spartacus. For some yeah. reason. He got both the good and the bad because he was in two Kubrick movies. For some reason. When you said Kirk Douglas, I thought you meant. No, I don't <laughs> mean Kirk, Kurt Russell. Russell. So then I'm so confused. Okay. Yeah, first names are different too. It's, it's like. Kirk and Kurt. It's like Kristen Wiig <sighs> and Kirsten Dunst. Kristen and Kirsten. <laughs> Or Kristen Wiig and Kristen Stewart. Oh, their last names are different, but I get what you're saying. But so yeah, I was surprised when you mentioned Kirk 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 Douglas. Yeah, is a hundred years at least a hundred years. He's old? still alive. One of the legends of the golden age of Hollywood is still alive. Yeah, he's a hundred and two years old. That's good. Yeah. But, uh, you told me that. The reason why Spark maybe this maybe this is why Kirk didn't enjoy his experience with Spartacus is because it was under a production studio. It was under a production studio that took control of everything, including Stanley's directing in a sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because with Paths of Glory, they were um you know, according to Kirk, he had such a great time. He was like, yeah, I want you to direct Spartacus. Mm-hmm. Because the idea of Spartacus was actually presented to Kirk Douglas. Yeah. And, again, even though it's a well-renowned film, I don't think it's, I don't think it's that good. Do you like the acting? Is there anything you like about it, I guess I could ask? I mean, the fight scenes are cool. But when I watch it, I'm just like, this is... <laughs> You know, classic, cheesy Hollywood. Is it good, cheesy, classic Hollywood? In my opinion, no. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. And you said this was Stanley's longest film. Yeah, and that's another thing. It drags on forever. I feel like epics are supposed to be like that because history is long. (laughs) Yeah, but the thing is, you know, maybe it's because I didn't enjoy it. I just wanted it to end. Hey, that could happen, too. Yeah, I didn't feel that way with Barry Lyndon. Which is really good. Yeah. It is, it does dry, but then it started off slow. But then at some point, you get the hang of who Barry is. Yeah. And then (laughs) you see more of the misfortunes he went through throughout his life. Like, he's a really complex character, but at this, you... He does horrible things sometimes, but then you feel bad for him sometimes. It's so weird. I think the point of that is to show he's human or something yeah. like that. It's all because of Nora did not want to marry him. It's like, oh my god. And then 
They were cousins, for God's sake. I didn't know. But I think that was a smart move on her part. It's not a smart move on his part, because he shouldn't let that lost love, end quote, ruin his life like that. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, I'm surprised it won Academy Awards, actually. I mean, for cinematography, the cinematography was beautiful. It was like the costumes and yeah, the setting. production stu- setting. It's like, oh, wow. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, no. This was I actually thought this was really funny. They were originally shooting in Ireland, which surprised me because Stanley hated to travel. Oh, did he really? Yeah, he did. He hated flying. He because he's not in control. No, I probably. think I think it's just a fear of flying. Well, that too, or yeah. maybe you you know how he is though. Yeah, but when they got to Ireland and they started filming, he found out that the IRA put him on a hit list because. He was filming a movie in Ireland with British soldiers. Oh, the IRA. Yeah, the IRA hate the British. They're sworn enemy. Okay. I don't get it, but because they their what cause. they wanted like a little percentage of the land. Yeah, like um, there's a little section in Northern Ireland that I think to this day remains a part of Great Britain. Okay. And I think they're still around a little bit today, but not as much as they were during uh, the Cold War. Well, because of. Land. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he then filmed in England. Yeah, they flew back to England and they shot it there, like with all of his other films. I had a bit of a Forrest Gump feel in Barry Lyndon. A bit, not as much. I can see that. It's like Forrest Gump. It's also a little bit like Citizen Kane in the sense where a good man all of a sudden becomes full of misfortunes. Yeah, first he got robbed. With his per, um, his money and his horse, and then he had to join the British, I believe, because or else he'll have nowhere to live or eat yeah. or survive practically. Yeah. Then he helped was held prisoner, and he had to join the, I believe, the Russian, the army, Prussian, the Prussian army. Yeah. So it's like, huh? So, but uh, the ending was. Bittersweet, but not really. It wasn't. Not I. Honestly, I feel like the ending is tragic because you know he he loses his son in a stupid accident. Mm-hmm. He's um, kicked out by his brat stepson. He isn't even. <clears throat> he doesn't really love his wife. Really, he only married her for her for the. <sighs> She well initially she was married to someone because of their money and then he is married to her because she has that money. Yeah, and what's stupid is that I feel like the stepson feels the same way. Now that I think about it, I don't think the stepson hated Barry Lyndon because you know, Lyndon was an opportunist who saw one with his mother and he decided to take it. Mm-hmm. I think he hated Barry because Barry would end up taking control of all the finances and the contracts and everything, and the stepson wouldn't. The, the stepson was a little kid at that time. He acted like an adult more so than anybody else. <laughs> more so than his mother. Yeah, and even when he grew up. Well, I... I will say at least he was honest by saying I don't like him when he talked to that what was he? Like a servant to Yeah, he was like a butler or something like that. He looked like a penguin <laughs> with all the outfits he wore. But, oh yeah, and oh you mentioned that cinematography, all that lighting was natural lighting, which is which I was yeah. I was not surprised actually. Yeah, most of it was. I think there was a couple of parts where they did use lights where they actually needed it, but you know, it was natural light, which was a little bit tricky because mm-hmm. the times they were shooting in Ireland, apparently the weather changes very fast. Don't you mean England? No, Ireland. Ireland? Remember, they shot in Ireland for a little bit. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Those those shoots were really tough because, again, the weather changes very quickly in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And so they would constantly have to adapt. But Stanley being Stanley, that wasn't much of a deal. Yeah. So, again, but the thing is, he's always doing long, long shoots. It was a long, long movie. With, like, a part one intermission and a part two and the end. Yeah. But then you said that that was the thing back in the day. 
Yeah. With films like that. Yeah, even with his shorter films, though, they still go into long productions. And when he was asked, that that's another thing. He never did television interviews. He never did on-screen interviews. He did interviews with people from magazines and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was asked, like, how come, how come you do so many takes? And his response was, because actors don't remember their lines. <laughs> Didn't you say Barry Lyndon was his longest shoot um, longest no that was eyes wide shut oh yeah, you, yeah okay that is in the guinness book of world records for longest movie shoot it's re- yeah it's legendary is it still a, is it still the longest i think so it's 400 days yeah <laughs> which is absolutely crazy and nicole kidman and tom cruise were actually contacted by vincent d'onofrio who, if anyone has seen the film Full Metal Jacket, played Gomer Pyle, he contacted the two of them and said, look, if you're filming with Stanley, get get a hotel room or rent a house because you're going to be there. You're going to be in England for a while. Yeah. And rightfully so, they were, even though the film takes place in New York. Oh, wow. Yeah, they still shot it in England. But that was the beauty of him. They were young. They were they, they all were, actually. 1999. And that's his last film before he died. Some people call it his unfinished masterpiece. How is it unfinished? I, I don't know, because, you know, the the stuff that he delivered to the studio was the finished product. They had to do but a couple of things you, with the sound here and there. You mentioned he gave them a manuscript, and then, what, three days later he died? Yeah, he gave them the full project four days later, kicked the bucket. And that, it was a surprise to everybody. Because mm-hmm. everyone was like, he was he healthy. He didn't seem sick. Yeah, he was oh. seventy years old. Oh, that oh, a while ago you mentioned. Oh, were fans going to his house? Yes, or something this, like that. <laughs> this I get a kick out of. Yeah, people would go to because again, he didn't do any uh, television appearances or anything like that. According to um, his daughter, he was going to. After the release of Eyes Wide Shut, mm-hmm. but he going uh, to what? going to do television. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, but people, but people would go to his house like year, like you know, in the fifties and the sixties where we didn't have the internet and stuff like that. So they would go to his house and they would knock on the door. He would answer, and they were like, "Is Stanley Kubrick in?" And he would always say, "No, he's not. <laughs> he's not in." Do they know what he looks like? No, they didn't. Because again, he didn't really. No Google images, or there were no computers at that time. Okay, maybe or at least computers made available to the public. I'm sure with magazines, there must be a picture somehow. Well, I don't know. And yeah, again, he was really eccentric. His very first film called Fear and Desire, which he destroyed. He hated it so much. He bought all the copies and burned them because he didn't want anyone to see it. There is one copy left at um, some sort of um, film museum where you could watch it. And apparently it's actually a good film for someone's first film. Yeah, it's a good first attempt. It's not something he should feel ashamed of. So what? which film catapulted his, I guess, fame or name, I should say? I think it was The Killing. The Killing? Yeah, because... It really set um, set a standard for certain films mm-hmm. because it was one of the first films that followed a non-linear style, like Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. Like some say that the killing inspired the non-linear style in Reservoir Dogs and other films. And there was actually a little bit of hassle from the studio. Stanley, this is really confusing because of the non-linear. So they said put it in a linear form, and he did, and it made the film even more confusing. Oh, okay. So they were like, okay, we get it. Put it back. Put it back together. So they aired the original version. And I think that's that's um, his only film that's on Criterion. I could be wrong. I feel like A Clockwork Orange is on Criterion. It shouldn't be. I know. There's a handful of films that are on the collection that should not be, but... Chasing Amy? Oh, that film frustrates me because the two main characters... Well, the main character and the love interest are so, so annoying. Oh, my 
God, what? Uh, Isn't it Ben specifically? Ben and what's her name? Joey. You, like Amy. That, yeah. Well, Amy. You know who? Oh my. <sighs> okay. Well. But with um Stanley Kubrick, didn't um. I should say most of his films are based on another book or movie or um novel like most of it isn't there one that isn't yeah there i think i think it might have been fear and desire okay. it could be something else but i'm not entirely sure but yeah every thing that he did was based off of a book or some sort of story or something like that and he actually did say one time he's not capable of coming up with original content okay, okay. He, he did say that one time even the film that he wanted to do that wasn't based on any book was a biopic about napoleon yeah but that's still based on stuff he's getting from biographies and with, things like that with, with that being said he did change certain things like with the shining yeah Steve, stephen king does not like the film the shining i think he appreciates it as a movie but he doesn't like it as an adaptation of one of his own novels because he stanley changed the whole concept that the whole concept that the hotel got well, got frozen rather than yeah, no, no, no. in in the in, book in, in the book the hotel burns in the movie the hotel freezes yeah I know yeah and also another thing he actually got into a conversation with um, Stephen with yeah with Stephen they were on the phone and Stanley had like all these great ideas he was talking about it he was so excited to make the movie. And, um, you know, he was like, I'm really fascinated with the paranormal because it's like, you know, a true escape from death or something like that. And Stephen King said to him, well, Stanley, what about hell? And Stanley was like, I don't believe in hell. And he was like, well, unfortunately, there are people who do. And what if, you know, someone dies and they become a ghost and they end up in an area or a time period where they're not happy? That could count as hell. And Stanley was like, I'm sorry, I just don't buy that. They didn't go back and forth, the, like, bickering children. <sighs> or did oh, they? Did? They might have, but, uh, again, the biggest problem that Stephen had with Stanley is that Stanley wanted... Jack Nicholson's character to be the antagonist, where Stephen King in the book made the character a victim. Mm -hmm. He wanted everyone to feel sorry for that character instead of, you know, rooting for his death when he dies in the maze. Yeah, that was funny. But for me, it's not funny, but like when the dramatic music and then you see him like just frozen up. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know it creeped you out, but for some reason, I thought it was... It looks creepy. It does look creepy, but with the noise effects, and like, I had a giggle, but that's just me. But, you know, sure enough, he got the film made, and to this day, I still think that that is his best film, The Shining. I think when people think of Stanley, they think of The Shining. Yeah. And or even if or um, A Clockwork Orange. Yeah, and even if you don't know who Stanley is, you should know The Shining. Yeah, I know people who get creeped out by it, but I mean, that's part of the movie, so... If you don't get creeped out by The Shining, then I'm afraid of you. <laughs> oh, remember the blood from the elevator? Or the hallway, the hallway. Oh, yeah, that that gif or that meme you told me about? This is me on my period. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> wait, oh, wait, what was that blood? Was it like chocolate or... It's no, that was, that was Psycho. That's Alfred Hitchcock. Wait, what's the blood for the shine? It's just water and what food coloring? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It, it can, yeah, it doesn't look thick, but it's like just flows. Yeah. Well, they probably went easy on the corn syrup. So, like you said, it could. Corn syrup. Yeah. So, like you said, it could Flow. splash a lot more. Mm -hmm. but, but a lot of people also remember Space Odyssey. Uh, you told me it's confusing it's confusing and it's also a little boring but the effects are amazing didn't it win the academy that's for? the film that won him an oscar yes oh wow for best visual effects and the effects 
I was blown away, especially when I found out when it was made. It was like late 60s or early 70s. I'm like, oh, are you wow. serious? That's impressive. These effects can rival some films today <laughs> Yeah, with the effects that we have. Isn't there a theory about it being about the birth of humans? And then there's like this really complicated thing about yeah, evolution I, and I, stuff like that. I watched it again, and it, it makes a little bit more sense because... Um, first of all, it opens up with the dawn of man, where you see apes, like, you know, struggling to survive. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they're figuring out how to get food. They're figuring out how to cook food. They're also figuring out how to destroy their enemies. Like, there's a scene where an ape picks up a bone and he smashes another bone with it and it breaks and he comes to the realization I could take over territory. And that goes on for quite a while. And then they see this big monolith. And then when one of the apes touches the monolith, all of a sudden you see mankind, see human beings. Like Spongebob. Yeah, exactly. And then there's a little bit of a, um, you know, suspenseful moment where the computer tries to take over the ship. Oh my god. Oh god. And then there's yeah. that. And then when the head astronaut, you know, sets off in some sort of pod, he ends up going through these psychedelic light show things, which apparently is engrossing him with knowledge. Mm. And then he ends up in a white room and he sees three versions of himself. He sees a middle-aged version, um, an older version, and a sickly version. Oh, wow. Like sick, old and dying in bed. Mm -hmm. And that's the only version of himself that remains. And then the monolith appears again. Mm -hmm. And when he goes to touch it, he turns into this fetus in an orb of light, which, according to people, is the star child. Mm -hmm. And apparently that's the same thing that happened in the end of the Dawn of Man segment of the film. A new species is created. And on the back of the cover, it actually says where... Um, you know, this astronaut will, you know, reach areas beyond infinity, infinity and maybe even achieve immortality. So, yeah, it is very confusing and it is a little boring, but it's still beautiful to look at. Yeah. Like it, you watch, it was the first technical marvel, in my opinion, the real true technical marvel. Because it was the first time where things look legit. Okay. Like you were like, whoa, that's that's, and they're not actually in space. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that that's where the conspiracy theory comes from for people who didn't think the Apollo moon landings really happened. Oh yeah. There's a theory. There's a theory that our government wasn't even close to putting a man on the moon, and to compete with the Russians, they went to Stanley Kubrick and said, "Can you film a moon landing for us?" That's that's the did, conspiracy theory. Did Stanley ever respond to that or no? No, he never did. I'm sure the government is saying you better not say anything or else. I'm he, sure he didn't even care if they asked him to do that. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm really sure he didn't care because he was he was living in England. Oh, he doesn't care about. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't care. care the American I mean, I'm sure government. Cares, I'm sure he cares about the well being of the country, but it was like, all right, fine, I'll do it for but you. But he whatever. doesn't. He doesn't like to film in America. Yeah, that's true. That's what. That's what I was told. In fact, when I wrote an article about Buzz Aldrin, I did some research on him, and I found out there was a situation where some guys tricked him into going into some sort of hotel room for an interview. They said, we're interviewing you for some sort of documentary or something like that. He walked in, and there were these guys, and they locked the door on him, and they said, we're not, we're not letting you go until you tell us that those moon landings were fake. And did he? No, apparently he beat them up a little bit. Oh, really? Yeah, Buzz beat them up. And then they let him go? Yeah. <laughs> He cool. got out. Didn't say anything. Cool. Didn't say. Didn't say. You guys are nuts. He the just. He just. Didn't happen. He just beat him up and ran. <laughs> yeah, got out. Wow. And what I find really funny is that a lot of people. One guy said that Stanley was the best director ever, 
and the first half of Full Metal Jacket is the best film ever made. I totally forgot that was a Stanley film. Yeah. It looked nothing like. Well, then again, that's the thing with Stanley. He will do any genre. Yeah, he's one of the few directors who has literally been stamped with every rating mm-hmm. that yeah, you that possibly too. think of. Um, G, G, Space Odyssey is rated G. Spartacus is PG-13 now. Um, Full Metal Jacket, The Shining, um, Clockwork Orange, those are R. Um, Doctor Strange Love is PG. Mm-hmm. He directs any film that he just wants to direct. Yeah, Clockwork got NC-17 originally, and then he had to like resubmit it and then dumb yeah, it down. Yeah, and that I think that's why so many people like him, because he didn't just make a film for the sake of paying the bills. Mm-hmm. He made the films that he genuinely wanted to make. Yeah. That's why, and a lot of people say, like, well, you know, he only directed a dozen films. Those are the great directors. Who he's, direct fewer films. I feel like he's kind of like Daniel Day-Lewis. Kind of, not all the way. Because you know how those two tend to be careful with which projects they want to do? Yeah. And they know... Well, I'm sure they gave it all their effort for each film they've done, acting and directing, but you could tell they are careful. Yeah. They don't just... It, like, if anyone were to offer them anything they wouldn't say yes right away you know what i mean because they actually do research they really know within themselves if they could do it well stuff like that yeah like someone even said um during the shooting of reservoir dogs with quentin tarantino someone actually said to somebody else in the business end like yeah i think i think quentin could be another kubrick I don't know about that. No one, no one could be the and next Stanley Kubrick. The only one is Stanley. There's only one. Yeah, that's it. And no story. No one will ever be the next Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, how come the first half of Full Metal Jacket was great and then the second half isn't? Realistically, it's all because of Arlie Ermey. That's it. And I feel like if Stanley didn't let him improvise... It would all be bad. Yeah. I think it would have all been a crapshoot. How come the second half isn't great? I don't know. No one cares about the second half. The only good part in the second half is the ending when the characters are fighting the sniper. That's Mm -hmm. it. Everything else is just like, I don't don't care. I, when I first saw it, I thought the whole film was going to be them in boot camp and it'll end with them going to Vietnam. That would have been great. Yeah, when Ermy got shot, I was like, "No!" Yeah, no one. Yeah, no one wanted that. Nobody. Oh. But yeah, to anybody who doesn't know, Ermy wasn't even supposed to be the actor. Um, he was supposed to be an advisor for the person who was going to play the drill sergeant. And when Kubrick was watching Ermy, he said, "You know what?" I'll cast that guy into something else. And he did. He made him the helicopter gunman in that one scene. And he said, I want you to play the drill sergeant because you really know this because you were one. And when Ermy was looking through the script, he said, look, Ermy, this is great for a film, but this isn't stuff a drill sergeant would say. Can I say my own things? And Kubrick being Kubrick said no. But Ermy was like, look, just let me do one take and let's see what happens. And that one take is what you see in the beginning of the movie. I am Gunnery Sergeant. I am Gunnery Sergeant Hartman, your senior drill instructor. <laughs> and Kubrick was just like, you know what? I trust you. Say whatever you want. <laughs> May he rest in peace. <clears throat> yeah, Ermy too. Mm-hmm. Oh, what were um, what were his other films? Um, there was Paths of Glory, which was a war film, which I haven't seen yet, but I want to. Mm-hmm. Um, we did mention we did mention Eyes Wide Shut mm-hmm. uh, Doctor Strange Love yeah like I don't think there's I don't think there's a single one of his big films that have gone unnoticed well except for the first one because he wanted that yeah that's exactly what he wanted but you know every film that he's done is unique in some way it really is. Yeah, but 
I feel like he's an outcast of the outcast, if that makes any sense. Personally, I think that's what he wanted to be. Like, you know how directors, actors, everyone in that industry, they're like the outcast. Yeah. And then you have the outcast of the outcast. And he, I think he fits perfectly in that. And I think that's exactly what he wanted to be because he did work in the Hollywood studio system with Spartacus and maybe a little bit before that. And he realized it wasn't for him, but he still wanted to make movies. He, I will say, he didn't look like a director, if you know what he looks like. He looks like a philosophy professor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not in his young age, though. Oh, really? In his young age, I don't know what he looked like. I, I mean, I do, but, like, career-wise. <laughs> yeah, no, apparently his dad was a little scared because he didn't take an interest in anything. Oh, yeah, and then he did um, chess? Yeah, he ended up taking a liking to chess. And, you know, even people who didn't play chess at all, they still, you know, said, can I play you just for the hell of it? No one won against him. Oh, he's that good. Yeah, he was a chess master. And then when it came down to movies, he loved movies, but he also said he never thought about being a film director. It's just every single time he watched a film, he would always say, I could make a better film than that. Yeah. And it's really funny. He actually said, you know, I hated school. I didn't learn a single thing in school. And I didn't even read a book for fun until I was 19. What was that book they said? I don't know. He didn't. Oh, I'm actually curious. What was the book that caused him to be like, reading this fun? Yeah. I like how with, um, especially in Barry, I noticed this in Barry Lyndon, he loves to zoom out and then zoom in. Yeah. And then he he's all over the place when it comes to um, his camera work. Yeah. It's funky, very funky. It's It gives you a chance to, like, really take everything in in the image. Yeah, but I like how he, it's noticeable. For me, it's noticeable. I don't know about any other people, but I, remember, I just find that funny is all. I remember when you and me were watching A Clockwork Orange, you you know, you kept on saying, see, right in the center. Cut. Right in the center. Yeah, Cut. Like, right in the center. In the center. You get to see. <laughs> it reminds me of a PowerPoint presentation. You know, like those wacky transition yeah, situations. Yeah, I do. <laughs> oh, it's just, I, I just think it's funny, but. Impressed though, because of how wacky he is. Yeah. Well, that is, yeah. And that's what's um, also very interesting because Eyes Wide Shut actually surprised me. I remember my friend, he told me, watch it. Eyes Wide Shut is amazing. Or fabulous. It's, it's great. And I'm like, okay. So that's when I finally found the um, four disc. DVD thing with you, Shining Space Odyssey, Barry Lyndon, and Eyes Wide Shut. You had a hard time looking for, I believe, Barry Lyndon. Yeah, I wanted to find, I really wanted to see Barry Lyndon because I thought the uh, cover for it was really cool. It is. But I couldn't get it for a super cheap price, which is what I always try to do. Because, well, the, that film was shot 1960s, 1970s? No, the, the, yeah, the 70s. 1975, so, I think. For some reason, th- certain films within that um, time, th- that decade, it's really hard to find at a cheap price. It's really weird. Yeah, it is. And luckily, I ended up finding this um, four-movie DVD collection thing for eight bucks. It Which had, is good. It had The Shining, Space Odyssey, Barry Lyndon, and Eyes Wide Shut. I already had Shining and Space Odyssey on DVD, but... Those two, it was worth it. Yeah. So I got it, and I watched Eyes Wide Shut, not expecting much when I read the plot. And Tom Cruise. Yeah. I mean, I I was never blown away by a performance with Tom Cruise. I love him in The Last Samurai, as I'm sure yeah, everybody does. Mm-hmm. And Top Gun, obviously. But Eyes Wide Shut, in my opinion, is his best performance and he's not even nominated. Yeah, he wasn't, which is bullshit in my opinion. Yeah. I think he should have been for that movie. It was amazing. And the the funny thing about Eyes Wide Shut is that when it started and I started watching it and 
like again, the first thing you see in the film is Nicole Kidman's butt. It's the very first thing, and I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. And then it goes on, and you see like these stupid things happening, and I'm like, oh god, is this like one of those? Is this like one of those stupid films where a couple doesn't like each other anymore? She admits to almost cheating on him, and he tries to get revenge on her by cheating on her, and this and that. But it, and that's how it started out. But then it just made a complete different turn. I'm like, okay. So Stanley made the movie a completely different genre right then and there. In a sense, yeah. Yeah, and I became so engrossed in Tom Cruise's performance. I didn't want I didn't want I didn't want it to end. You didn't want your eyes to shut. (laughs) (sighs) Eyes wide shut. The title is interesting. Yeah. And he actually I think he was um he won a DGA award while he was making that movie. DGA. Yeah, the Directors Guild of America Awards. Okay. Spike Lee won one before he won an Oscar for Black Klansman. Oh, for which film? Black Klansman? No, it was just him. Oh, okay. He won the award himself. Okay. And he said a very famous... First of all, he didn't even show up to the ceremony, but he made a video acceptance speech that he mailed to them, and they played it. Okay. And he sent... Like he even said, by the time you're playing this video, I'm probably in the car on my way to the studio. And he said something that a lot of film people really take to heart. They say, when it comes to making a film, while it can feel like trying to write War and Peace in a bumper car at an amusement park, once you get it just right, there's no feeling of joy on earth that can compare. Would anyone try to do that? Well, right, we're going to peace on, on a bumper car. cars. That'll be interesting. Or just the, or just write a oh. sentence in a bumper car. Oh, what did um oh, what did Nicole and Tom say about Stanley after no, he died? First of all, Stanley stopped Nicole from retiring. She wanted to retire from acting and spend more time with her family, and he convinced her not to. He was like, look, you can't just throw away your talent like that. Yeah, definitely. You're too good of an actress. And, yeah, he taught her how to balance both. Yeah, and he really taught her a lot about acting. And with Tom, even though, again, it was a hellish shoe, 400 days, he still had a really fun time working with Stanley. And he said something else that was very interesting. He said that... He did not enjoy playing the character that he was assigned, but at the same time, he would be kicking himself if he didn't do it. Yeah. So I think it was a life-changing, life-changing roles for the both of them. Oh, yeah. And um, Jack also respect um, Stanley. Yeah. Because he said how if he um, asked me to, well, walk through a door. Yeah, but that's that's just how Jack Nicholson was. Okay, that's just Jack, not anyone else. Yeah, according to George Miller who directed Mad Max, he said that he is completely loyal to the director. Jack because, Nicholson. Yeah, Jack Nicholson, because, you know, with Stanley, you know this, I've told you this, he said that on The Shining, if Stanley wanted me to just, like, walk through a door for the hundredth time, he had his own good reason. And George also said that he had done a film called Prissy's Honor with John Huston, who directed Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And John was very old, so old he was directing in a wheelchair with an oxygen mask. And he said, and when John wanted me to get it and take one, I'll give it, I'll give it to him and take one. And it was, he was so good that Stanley actually wanted Jack to play Napoleon. In his That's interesting. Project. That's really interesting. But of course, it didn't work. Why is that? Well, mainly because um, there was another film that came out that was a little bit about Napoleon, but it was only his military career. Stanley wanted to do a film that stretched through his whole life, from birth all the way up to his death. Mm-hmm. And um, 
again, the film didn't do so good, so they were like, okay, maybe no films about Napoleon Bonaparte should be made now for a while. And that's really what happened. Okay. He even was figuring out ways to make the film cheaper. One of them was through uh, paper costumes. Oh, wow. He was like, yeah, so, like, you know, for the big battle scenes, we could have, like, you know, a couple of real legit costumes for the people to wear in the close-ups. But for the people, like, you know, in the back, like, fighting the battle, we could put them in, like, cheap paper stuff that at a distance will look legit. Yeah. He even did camera tests on them, and they were great. Mm-hmm. So, for him, he just picked up the camera and be like, I want to do this. Like, he didn't have any training or he didn't... No, no, he didn't have any training at all. He just enjoys watching movies. Yeah, he enjoyed cinema. And he enjoyed research and he enjoyed bringing stories from books to life. Yes. That was just... Now, he probably wouldn't describe himself as that, but... His work is speaks yeah, for themselves. Exactly. Exactly. So he's really humble. He was a very humble guy. He's just a perfectionist. Yeah, and maybe a little egotistic here and there, but yeah. You know, just when it came to directing, when it came to bragging about himself, again, he didn't give himself a lot of credit. Yeah, it's the actors that did it, not me. Yeah. In that sense. Even though he did help them. Yeah, well, no. Again, it was more like, yeah, my IQ's average. I'm not that smart. Mm-hmm, okay. In that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even the woman who played Jack Nicholson's wife on The Shining said, he taught me so much about acting. She scares me, to be honest. <laughs> Wendy, give me the bat. Even with her yelling and screaming and the knife. She's, get, away, get away from me! Yeah, she scares <laughs> me as much as Jack Nicholson's character, actually. <laughs> I feel bad for the little boy, like, oh, no. Oh, Danny. Yeah. Oh, God. I could have sworn the little girls were going to kill him. Oh, really? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they did, but thankfully they didn't. Yeah. I love how... I did not know that Toy Story had a reference... From The Shining until I grew up, I watched it again a little bit older. Wait, which reference? The carpet. Remember in the first movie in Sid's house by the stairs? Yeah. It's the same carpet as oh. as the, the, when he when Danny meets the twins. Okay. I mean stuff like that. Yeah, no, when I think of um, horror references in Toy Story, I think of the Exorcist reference. <laughs> yeah. We toys see yeah, everything. Oh, you know what's crazy? You remember the fishing pole thing with the women's legs? Oh, yeah. I did not know what that meant until um, later. You know what that meant? What? Hooker. Because <laughs> the, the fishing pole has the hook and then the, uh, there's a woman's legs she's funny. a hook that's funny oh my god legs you're with ducky <laughs> oh my god it's like it's like weird stuff like that where you yeah. realize oh wait a minute that's what they meant so stuff like that so the shining is you think the shining is cat or cat or is within the category of Oh, horror or thriller? Horror. Horror, not... Yeah. Okay. Because it is more so scary, especially with the whole thing that has to do with the paranormal. Okay. Because I think there was a bit of a debate. Is it a horror or is it a thriller sort of? Because... I classify it as a horror, and I think most other people do. Mm-hmm. Because it really is. Like, if you watch... If you watch you know, um, Silence of the Lambs, and then you watch The Shining. There's a lot more horror elements in The Shining than there is in Silence Silence would be a thriller then. Yeah. Okay. Silence is classified as a psychological thriller. thriller. Okay. Even though it involves a serial killer. Yeah. But if you look at it, you know, the serial killer, you only see him kill one guy. Mm -hmm. And everything else, you just see the aftermath. Yeah. 
See, that's the funky thing with stuff like that. Yeah. And apparently Anthony Hopkins only had like 20 minutes worth of screen time, which you'd never guess. I like how his line is like the one of the most misquoted dialogue there is. What? Because people thought he said like, good evening, Clarice. Oh, yeah. When he just said like, hello, or he said, he didn't say good evening. He said something else. Yeah. Something it's like, like um. It's like, Luke, I am your father. Yeah, where it's no Luke. Yeah, I am your father. Stuff like that. Yeah, because Luke is like, he told me you killed him. No, Luke. (laughs) (laughs) You remember um, James Earl Jones and the Big Bang Theory? When I read that, I thought for sure he was lying. (laughs) I don't like Star Wars, too. (laughs) So... If you had to describe Stanley in a, like three words, what would they be? <laughs> Truly fantastic director. That could be all of them. No, not all of them. Not even Quentin? I think Quentin's a truly fantastic director. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Because I... I feel like people do and don't give Stanley credit, which I will say, even though most of his films is based off of somebody else's work, but him putting them onto the big screen, like, you can, I don't think anyone, obviously no one can be like him when it comes to his camera work, his direction. Yeah. He brings the stories to life. Oh, yeah. In cinema. In, in, a, fact, in a very interesting way. He only worked with one author of the original book. Which one? Of, on one project, and that was for Space Odyssey. Oh, really? Arthur C. Clarke. That was the only one where he actually sat down with the original author and wrote the script with him. And he liked it. Yeah. Uh, was it actually based, like... He didn't change anything from the book. I'm not really sure about the book, but since the author did help him write the script, I imagine it, it the film is very loyal to the original story. Okay. Well, that's all the time that we have for this episode. So for us in Film Fanatics, I'm your host, Casey Abramson. This is Lee Hua. We're signing off.